on 89.9 The Light, your in conversation with Clayton and uh, via the wonders of Zoom as we head in to our summer sports and all of the tennis that is coming. It is awesome to be able to have a chat to Vanya King. How are you, Vanya? I'm great, thanks. Thanks for having me. Look, it's so good to have you on. Um, for those who don't know a bit about your tennis career, because in a weird way, we're not going to talk much about your tennis career. We've got other things we want to talk, talk about <laughs> today, but maybe give uh, give the resume and, and uh, then we'll dig into a bit more about your love of tennis. Sure. Yeah. So I'm American. I grew up in Southern California in Long Beach. I was born and raised in Long Beach, California. Um, in terms of my tennis resume, my highlights, I got to uh, 50 in the world in singles and number three in the world in doubles. I had a 15 year career, which recently ended in April of this year. Um, I won two Grand Slams in doubles, Wimbledon and the US Open of 2010. I reached a couple of finals as well. Um, I won one WTA title and I think 14 WTA, uh, one WTA singles titles and I think 14 WTA doubles titles. And I do love Australia. I had a uh, an Aussie coach, Ray Ruffles, who used to coach the Woodies, um, one of the most impact, one of the two most impactful coaches of my life. And um, he actually set me up with Renee Stubbs, who is one of the most impactful doubles players I had really taught me uh, how to play doubles at the highest level. So I'm very appreciative of the Australians, you know, giving me support. And, um, and I was telling Clayton earlier that I, if COVID hadn't happened, I would have actually moved to Australia. And so now that's TBD. Oh, that is, uh, that's pretty cool. We, we, we're happy to claim you as our own already, uh, Vanya, <laughs> even before you get here. So I think uh, as everyone now hears, and even if they hadn't followed much of your career, goes, all right, well, Vanya was pretty good at tennis. Uh, the fact that somebody goes, I think I had 14 titles. It might be something else. Like, I mean, if you've lost count, you know, clearly you, you, you're doing pretty well. Um, let's go back even further then. Where did tennis start? You know, we hear of these sorts of stories of, um, sometimes parents who are making kids play tennis, others have this love of tennis. They're all got such different journeys. What was yours? Um, well, I had the first story where my parents made me play tennis. Um, I'm the youngest of four. My brother's eight years older than me. And then there's uh, my twin sisters are two and a half years older. And my brother started playing at nine years old, which is quite late for a tennis player to to try to make it. Usually it takes something like 15, 20 possibly 25 years to make it on tour, um, to develop your game. And my brother was naughty in school. And that's why his teacher had a conference with my parents and said, you need to make him play a sport. He needs to get his energy out. And so he picked tennis. Um, my parents, I mean, back then, I mean, we didn't grow up wealthy. So, you know, they could not afford to have all their kids play different sports. So we just the three girls just followed my brother, um, who was a great player in his own right. He was the best junior player in under 18s when he was 17 and 18. He got to play the US Open in the main draw. Um, he got to about 250 in the world and then he went to college and then tried to play a little bit after. Um, and then my sisters played at Penn at the University of Pennsylvania and Princeton University. So they were also, you know, good players as well. They played in college. And then there was me, the last one, uh, I think my dad saw that I had a lot of drive because I was very competitive. I think they, my parents tell me that my first word was no. 
So I was very <laughs> contrary, you know, <laughs> just to start with, I was very contrary. You know, I, I didn't like people telling me what to do. I was very competitive, um, but for tennis, it was a good thing. So my dad was my coach growing up until I was about 17. And then I worked with Ray Ruffles, as I said, uh, for two years, but I had actually, I'd known Ray for a while. I had taken lessons from him since I was about 12 or 13, I had a good relationship with him. And, um, and yeah, so that's on a, a very high level, how I started. Yeah. Wonderful. Um, and so was there ever that uh, lack of joy in tennis? Uh, you know, I, I think any sports person that we've talked about, there's always a grit and determination you have to get through. And some have to push through the, oh boy, I'm just not feeling the passion now. I got to push through it. Others like, no, nope, the whole time I could, you know, that my coach could be uh, making me run suicide drills constantly and it wouldn't yeah. matter. Where, where was it for you? Well, I don't know. Actually, there's probably one player I can think of, Alize Cornet, who seemed to always love playing and never dipped in terms of motivation. Um, But there's very, because tennis is so long, you know, to develop a player, it takes a long time. Um, We do sacrifice a lot as kids, you you have to be professional at a very young age, but also my dad was hard on me. Um, You know, I grew up in an immigrant family. Uh, My parents are from Taiwan they moved to the States when they were 20, around 20 years old. And, um, you know, they really wanted their kids to succeed. And so they were very tough on us in terms of wanting us to succeed. And in many ways, it was um, a lot of pressure on me as a kid to do well. And so I actually didn't find my love or acknowledge my love of tennis until I was 25. Mm. And I had, so to put it in context, I mean, I was top hundred when I was 17. So it, it had taken um, a long time for me to figure out that I had actually loved tennis. And it, it took me stepping away from tennis when I was 25 to be able to sift through uh, the trauma that I had as a child and the love that I had um, for the game because, you know, everything kind of just melded together. Um, so I, I had a, it's not an unusual story as a tennis player, um, there was a lot of times where I didn't enjoy it, but I would say as I got older, I learned to really appreciate what tennis had given to me. I, I love the sport now. I mean, now that I'm retired, I still, I still got in a play and I still have fun. And, um, and I think that was a better path than the other way around. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I was going to ask you that, um, you know, certainly here in Australia, we've heard a lot about the Elena Dokic story. Um, and certainly the, I suppose we're a bit more aware of what it means to have tennis parents um, and, and those sorts of the, the various types of parents that there are and, and also the commitment that it takes for kids to go through. Vanya, if you went back, would you would you choose the same path or would you have chosen a different way to, to explore your tennis path? Um, so actually, when I was 17, I was enrolled to Stanford. I had committed to Stanford University. And I remember being at Wimbledon. Um, I was 70 in the world. And for tennis players, uh, I mean, basically, if you reach top 100, it's kind of like you've made it because you're in the main draw of slams and you're making enough money to support yourself. And that's, I think, the the most agreed upon definition of making it as a pro, being top 100. But I was not pro at the time. I still played as an amateur because I wanted to go to school and I gave myself the deadline of Wimbledon. 
Um, and I remember calling my parents and saying, okay, I've made my decision. I want to go to school. I don't want to play. And, um, and they basically said, no, you can't like, you need to turn pro. And so, um, I made that decision to turn pro and I struggled for several years with that decision because it wasn't my own. Um, I did struggle, you know, like I said, with the trauma, I didn't enjoy playing and all my friends would go to, had gone to college and, and um, I wasn't working with my dad anymore, which was probably healthier for me as a person, but he was the one that had put all this motivation and, and pushed me so much. And now I didn't have that. And so it was, it was very difficult at that time. Um, but now looking back, I mean, I, I wouldn't change anything. I mean, luckily I was successful and I don't think that there's any, I don't think there's any point looking back. Um, it wasn't drastic enough that I could say, you know, oh my gosh, I, I'm not sick. I'm, I'm not in jail or, you know, like it wasn't drastic enough for me to say, oh, you know, I wish things have been different. And, and tennis has given me so much. I'm lucky. Tennis has given me so much. I'm lucky that I, I had a long career that I, I was successful in, in many ways. Um, but I also would say, yeah, I mean, if I had chosen the path of college, I would have had a very different life. I think, um, I, you know, I wouldn't be playing tennis. I, I would be in some other field now. And, uh, and I don't think I would have been unhappy with that life. I, I, I just don't think that, you know, I would have had the experience, obviously I wouldn't have had the experiences that tennis yeah. has given me. Yeah. Uh, we want to spend the second half of our interview in a couple of minutes time talking about serving up hope. Um, yeah. But before we get there, it, just the, the final part of uh, some of your journey, you know, because the last years or two have had you, um, as you said, you know, officially retiring this year. And I would imagine that yeah. would be a weird feeling to go through, you know, so young and using retirement words must feel strange, <laughs> I, I, would, I would reckon. Um, and at the same point, uh, already have dedicated a, a lot of time uh, to work on the various tennis associations for on behalf of players and all those sorts of things. Um, where does that come from? Because, you know, I think you probably have a right uh, after a, a career to go, well, I just, I don't want to have anything more to do with the associations or whatever. I'm just off into the sunset. But why for you to say, look, I, I want to pull back in that association way. Um, so I, I do a lot of work with nonprofits now and, or in the nonprofit sector. And so my work with the WTA is primarily with the nonprofit uh, WTA charities, which is the philanthropic arm of, of the WTA. And um, I mean, I, I kind of decided at a young age, or I kind of realized at a young age that what was fulfilling to me was to give back to others. It makes me feel fulfilled to do that. You know, I, I feel like I'm, I'm doing good work and, and it was hard as a player. It's tennis is a very um, by nature, selfish sport and because it's an individual sport and at the, at the pinnacle of it, you have to think about yourself all the time. I mean, every waking moment and even when you're sleeping, you know, it's all about tennis. Um, you know, I, I wouldn't read a book because it would tire my eyes out because I had a match or I wouldn't go to dinner. I wouldn't walk out to dinner. I'd have room service because I needed to make sure that my whole goal was to optimize my performance. And so it was, it was a contrast of what I felt was fulfilling to me. I was also very competitive. So I did enjoy that part. I do enjoy, I do love winning. Um, and in a way, uh, so I had some injuries in the past five, six years of my career, and it gave me time to think about what I wanted to do next. And, um, and the philanthropic aspect was always very, 
helpful for me from a mental health perspective. I felt like, so I knew at an early age, giving back was fulfilling to me. So in a, in a selfish way, it helped me, you know, I'm helping others, but it's helping me because I feel good about it. And I feel like I'm doing something worthy. Um, and so working with the WTA, I wanted to give that feeling to other players too. I knew how, I know how stressful it is. I know it's difficult. Uh, it's also an amazing life. I don't want to sound like ungrateful. Um, I do think that it's, it's not the life that people imagine it is. I think people think it's very glamorous and, and in some ways it is, but it's also a very stressful life. It's very lonely. You know, we put a lot of work, a lot of dedication. We sacrifice everything. I mean, there was a point where I was willing to sacrifice, you know, my, my finances, my relationships, my body, which eventually broke down. Um, and so it's, it's not an easy life and it's very transient as well from a psychological standpoint, because we're constantly winning and losing and you just really can't find that, that psychological self-esteem. Um, and so I wanted to be able to um, hopefully give that opportunity to other players, the thing, you know, the benefit that philanthropy has given to me. So I would say that if it wasn't, in, if it was a different space, it wouldn't feel quite the same about it, but um, that was the original draw to me is, is, you know, would love to be able to give back um, in the way that philanthropy has given to me. And as a player, I, I very much understand that space. Yeah. Well, and your heart is on uh, show definitely with Serving Up Hope, which is what we're going to talk about next with Vani King here on 89.9 The Light. In conversation with Clayton. On 89.9 The Light, you're in conversation with Clayton. And uh, we're having a chat with Vana King uh, from the States at the moment. And we're talking about uh, her career that has finished up just uh, this year. I'm guessing it probably still feels a bit strange hearing those words, uh, Vana, after such a long time. But uh, also uh, moving into a lot of the philanthropy work, especially with the WTA, but also with Serving Up Hope, which is uh, the, the, the organization that you founded, Vana. Could you tell us a bit about, uh, firstly, how you came up with this idea and then what it is? Yeah, sure. Um... So I had been struggling with injuries for the past five, six years. So from the tennis side, it was, it was difficult uh, as I kind of knew that my career was on a decline, um, trying to figure out what I wanted to do next. But it also gave me an opportunity to think about what I, what is fulfilling to me, what I want to do. Um, and I had always been drawn to philanthropy uh, because i I do feel fulfilled when I help others, when I give back, um, it makes me feel good too. And so I started in kind of the nonprofit sector with an organization called Acing Autism that provides tennis programs for children with autism. And it's mainly in the States, but I think that they've got some programs in, the, in, in Australia now. Um, and when I stopped when I was 26, uh, 25, I stopped for a year because of a, a herniated disc in my neck. And I got a lot more involved with that organization and realized that um, this is a space that I, I really enjoy and I might be interested in doing this as a career. So I ended up uh, completing a master's in nonprofit management to give myself a little bit more of a foundation in terms of um, education. And, um, and, kind of put some feelers out with different organizations, just volunteering, trying to figure out what 
the, you know, the nonprofit space is, is huge. You know, you can, you can get involved with pretty much anything that you're interested in. And um, I realized that, you know, I, I, as I got older, especially, you know, how much tennis has given to me, especially thinking at the end of my career, um, all the opportunities it's given, um, even the fact that I'm able to, let's say, pursue a philanthropic career, which financially usually doesn't pay well, but, you know, because of tennis, it's given me the opportunity to be able to do the things that I want to do. Um, and so I, I've always loved working with kids. I do think it's so cliche, but like kids are the future and education is so important. And I really, truly believe that, you know, the kids are kind of like a blank slate. You know, as we get older, we become very entrenched in our ways, physiologically, you know, chemically. And, um, and so I wanted to connect sport and, and working with kids and education. Um, I, I went to Africa, I got connected to Africa because of my love of wildlife. And so I'd been traveling around Africa for about um, five, six years. And then I ended up getting connected to a legal aid NGO in Uganda. And Uganda is one of the, I would say poorest countries in the world that has a somewhat stable government. Um, and uh, so I don't wanna go into the, the political side of that, but, um, and so I got connected to this legal aid organization that I thought, okay, here's my opportunity to, to actually do something, to activate something here. So we did a pilot program two years ago, two years ago uh, and we assisted a community tennis organization that was on the ground in Kampala, which is the capital of Uganda. We had about 300 kids on the size of a tennis court, one tennis court. And half were doing tennis and half were doing legal aid training. So 150 kids on this tennis court playing. It was organized chaos, I would say. And half were doing the legal aid training. And it was a great um, experience for me. It was about a week and it was a great experience for me. I realized, okay, there is a need. I can do this. But also the educational component is incredibly important, just as important as the opportunity to play. Um, because we work with kids that live in the slums. They eat, if they're lucky, once a day. They have no shoes. They have no running water, electricity. Um, and their families, which are on average about eight to 10 people, make about $2, well, maybe three Australian dollars a day. And whatever they make that day is how they, what they can buy for food. So it's a completely different world there. Um, and, and, you know, again, you know, we're not a food organization, but I've learned a lot. We do have a, a, a meal supplement program, but, you know, all the opportunities that sport has given to me, um, it's not just, you know, on a, on a short-term level with, you know, the social impact of being able to have fun and play, which these kids don't have the opportunity to play, but the long-term impact of, of that as well, the character building and potential um, professional opportunities that might come about it. So, uh, long story short, after that uh, pilot program decided, okay, this is worth it and I want to pursue this. And last year went there, I mean, because of COVID ended up going later than I wanted to, but um, we actually celebrated our one year anniversary of our Uganda program. We now work with about 200 kids um, and we have a high performance program that has about 40 kids who are playing national tournaments. They're some of the best kids in Uganda already. I mean, these are kids that 
they, they can rally, they have great technique, they can serve, they, they're now learning how to strategize and, um, and, and they're doing amazing. We also implemented a STEM program. So overall, the kids get five days a week of tennis and fitness, and then four days a week of STEM in, uh, education as well. We've got a, um, a classroom and an office in the directly in the community that they can just access very quickly. And um, because of COVID, actually Uganda basically have shut down schools for two years. So this has been a really great opportunity for them to continue learning from an academic standpoint. And, um, and we just launched this year uh, a, dom a US domestic program in LA because I grew up in kind of just south of LA. So we work with the YMCA Metropolitan LA there. Um, I'm not sure if you guys have YMCA, yep. but it's, yeah, like a com yeah, community, um, community uh, organizations and um, where kids can go and, and have access to sport and education. So we're really happy that we're doing that. And uh, our goal next year is to expand a couple more places in LA, um, in LA and then also the rest of the US. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's been a, a steep learning curve for me. Um, I realized after tennis, oh, man, I didn't know anything about anything outside of the small niche that is high performance tennis. So I didn't realize that I was basically um, engaging in a startup. You know, I had to learn all the business aspects of it. We're a nonprofit, but we are basically we're a business that basically doesn't make money, uh, but we still want to run it efficiently like a business does. So um, it's been a steep learning curve, but it's been incredibly rewarding. And our goal is to, um, you know, our mission is to have sustainable tennis programs. And that is, is our goal. And I'm fully committed to that. Yeah. It's just wonderful. I love hearing the heart and the passion uh, coming out of you as you've got it and, and the plans. And I'm sure that it's just going to go bigger and bigger and bigger and more and more kids. And as you adapt and learn as you go forward, it's wonderful to hear Serving Up Hope. What a, what a great um, name as well. And exactly what you're doing as you, you go through it. Now. Um, final question for me now, and we're going to move a little bit off tennis and, and all those sure. things that um, you know, I, I'm interested in that anywhere that I've read about you before our interview, you had things like um, uh, Vanya enjoys bird watching and singing as well. And and I, I put that with the fact that you've talked multiple times about the fact you're very competitive. Um, does that come out when you're bird watching and singing as well? How does that work? No, no. Um, I can only be competitive for a certain amount of time because it's it's draining. No, I'm definitely not competitive bird watching. Also because uh, I'm a terrible photographer. So I have the technique, which somebody called it uh, a spray and pray. So I just <laughs> go down and, you know, multiple photos, you know, as many photos as possible. And then I look back at my thousand photos that I took in an hour and just pray that I got one good shot in there. So, I like um, yeah. I love that. And where, where's the singing come from? Is that part of the, the family sort of tradition or are you the, the one out who loves the singing? Uh, so I was lucky when my sisters and I were kids, uh, we took singing a couple singing lessons and I just developed a love of singing. Um, I, I think I actually sang at the Australian Open one time. Um, yeah. And so it was also an outlet for me. Uh, so I'm not competitive in singing, but, you know, for example, people have asked me, did I want to make it as my career? And I said, no, one, because I don't think I'm that good to make it. Up. <laughs> yeah. 
but also, you know, it was, it was my safe space. It was my way to um, have self-care. It was my way to relax. And if it became a career, if it became stressful, then it would be like tennis, which is enjoyable, but it was also work as well. And I didn't want it to cross over to that. Love that. Well, Vanya, thank you so much uh, for sharing your story, for sharing some of the, the ups and downs of it. And also, um, I think you've given a whole lot of people some inspiration to be perhaps looking in their world, the things that they know and what they can do uh, to impact our world better. We wish you all the best with serving up hope and all the further endeavours you have. Thanks again for your time. Thank you so much. Vanya King, my guest here on 89.9 The Light.